Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, we're so glad that you're here today, whether at Ajax, Bowmanville, Port Perry, somewhere on a cottage, a plane, a train, or a car somewhere. Welcome to this summer series where we're exploring out of the book of John the great claims about Jesus and the claims of Jesus. Food is a serious part of all of our lives. If you don't have it, you die. If you do have it, you live. We celebrate it as art. We have whole TV stations now dedicated, dedicated to it. The Food Network beat Bobby Flay, right? The Barefoot Contessa, Diners, Driving and Dives. If you're a Netflix-aholic, we have counseling. Uh, ugly, delicious, <laughs> and chef table. Now, we love food as luxury. We use it as addiction to cover pain. We join support groups and gyms after we use too much of it. Food is everywhere, by the way, in our culture, and if you get the privilege of traveling the world, you will realize in other cultures it's hardly anywhere. We think about food, we dream about food, we're very opinionated about food, and we fight over it, like pineapple pizza. But there is one thing I think, no matter where you are on the food spectrum, we can all agree on. It is the smell of freshly baked bread. Raise your hand. If you like that. Oh, mm, all right. This is, it's just like there is nothing better. Now, a few weeks ago, like I shared, I was up in the Muskokas and uh, I walked really early in the morning into this bakery. And at that moment, right when I opened the door, the door I was the first customer and they had just brought out their scones, muffins, croissants, and bread of every type. I literally gained 10 pounds by just smelling the food. It was just an incredible, incredible moment that cutting beautiful fresh scent of bread. Now there's something obvious uh, about food though that, that we don't reflect on very much. Food after it's eaten, that amazing bread that we smell and eat, it's gone after we eat it and then we get hungry once again. And to be a little crass this morning, the best meal you can pay, pay for on earth and then a McDonald's drive through has the very same end. Your experience eating it might be very different, but at the end, after you eat something, it either stays here or goes in the toilet, and that is truth. Here today, and what? Gone tonight or tomorrow. Now, that helps us understand something. We want lasting things as human beings. We search, we long for eternity, we, we long for things that have longevity, even eternality. And that is why one of the main reasons why Jesus came to his day and to our day through the power of the Spirit and through his word is to actually show us the emptiness of life. Jesus wants to free all of us, seeker, skeptic, or believer. Jesus has actually come to reveal, to show our defective views when it comes to existence, life, and things, to put eternal things into perspective. And that is why he comes and he declares wild things like he has come to give us food from heaven. And when you listen closely to Jesus, no matter who we are, Jesus, what he claims about himself and what he offers, he always explicitly or implicitly says they are eternal. And one of the most beautiful names and one of the most needed names for Jesus is this. He says, I am the bread of life. You know that amazing smell when you have, you have in the bakery? 
times that by eternity, and that's who I am. Now, if you start reading John 6, you get a Bible, you can turn to John 6 on version or in the paper Bible. But in John chapter 6, Jesus starts the conversation about the bread of life by doing something incredible. Jesus feeds, it's called the feeding of the 5,000. It's actually not 5,000. It's somewhere between 10 and 15,000. There were 5,000 men there, plus women and then children. So Jesus is teaching, there's no food, and there's one little kid that has five little crackers, five little loaves, and two little fish. And Jesus takes them, prays over them, and miraculously feeds thousands of people from a little nothing lunch. Now, in the middle of this staggering thing that actually took place, there's actually bread left over after the moment. Jesus gets up and he just walks away. Jesus leaves at the height of the moment. Now, thousands of people are blown away by his teaching and also by the miracles. And so they continue to hunt Jesus down, demanding him to tell them more and to do more for them. Now, when we enter the story, the crowd is now very close to Jesus again, and as the crowd gets closer to him, unlike what we would expect, they get confused, angry, and shocked at Jesus. So Jesus begins to say to them, actually, the only thing you need to do is trust in me, not in what you do, not where you come from, not in your ethnicity, not in your religious practices. You need to trust in me, not what you want, what I want. And he says this in John 6, 26, I tell you the truth. Oh, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're back because you want more bread. You're so earthly motivated. Now, Jesus, again, is going to try to move this massive crowd away from what's just seen or experienced in the temporal, and he begins using the analogy of bread, and he says, basically, look, there are two kinds of bread. There's actual bread, and then there's spiritual bread. The stuff you bake, the stuff you buy at the grocery store will not last. Simple truth. You need food. If you use it and eat it, it's gone. If you don't use it, it becomes rotten. It does not last. Physical food is needed. It satisfies, but it satisfies for a moment. But then Jesus says, but we as human beings need spiritual food to be sustained. We actually need to be satisfied by God himself. So Jesus says in verse 27, do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. I am going to give you bread that lasts forever. And then Jesus says, and I have the right to say this to you because God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has placed his approval by a seal on me. You say, okay, well, what's the seal? I don't get it. Okay, at Jesus' baptism, when he's hanging out with his cousin John the Baptist, When Jesus was baptized, it says the Holy Spirit lightened on Jesus. Now, why was the Holy Spirit given to Jesus? Two reasons. One, the Father declares it. This is my Son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit saying Jesus is authentic and the real deal. And as we talk about in this church all the time, the second reason why he was given the Spirit was to empower Jesus to use spiritual gifts to be our model. And so Jesus says, look, I've got God himself backing me up. I've got the Holy Spirit working through me by my teaching, by signs and wonders. I am the one that's going to bring food that is eternal. I'm the son of man. I'm what you're looking for. Hang out with me. I'm going to give you this bread. And then they ask the question, which to us appears like the best question any genuine skeptic or seeker should ask. And if you hang out with anyone in culture today, in any culture on earth, they ask this of God all the time, if they believe in him. What must we do to do the works God requires? 
I mean, this sounds brilliant. What type of work do we need to do to get the bread that Jesus is, uh, is offering? I mean, what do I need to give? How religious do I need to be? What do I need to bring to the table so I can get this stuff? How much credit do I need with God so he's going to pay attention to me? Actually, how much is this going to cost me? Now, again, that sounds very sincere. And actually, I believe the crowd was sincere. But here's the problem. They are sincerely wrong. This question reveals sin, not openness. This question reveals darkness, not light. Because the question presumes a human being has the power within themselves to please God and connect with him. See, always religion says, I am at the center of the conversation. Humanism says, I am at the center of the conversation. And the gospel says, you're nowhere in the center, Jesus is. So at this moment, the question feels right, seems right, but actually is fundamentally wrong. And Jesus gives this answer. By the way, this next verse is one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. Jesus answered the sincerely broken people. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, period. You want an answer to every single religious question on earth? You want an answer to every human longing on earth? You want to know where to find eternal purpose in life? Jesus says, oh, just so you know, it's right here. Believe in me, period. I love when one commentator wrote this. They asked what kind of work they had to do to get the bread. And Jesus responds by saying, there's no physical work you can do. You just need to believe in him. The bread that endures comes through faith. Now, then he poses this question. Suppose you invited after church today a family owner over for a a big dinner spread. It was a great meal. They're friends of yours. You put in a massive spread for them. It's their favorite meal. You cook their favorite meat, cooked it just the way they like it. If you're a vegan, find it with something else. Okay, just walk with me. There was a big toss green salad, steaming baked potatoes, cheese sauce, refreshing beverage. There was apple pie you had freshly made with amazing ice cream. What a dinner. You you just put it all out. And soon everyone's sitting back at the table, patting their full tummies. And suppose when it comes time for your friends to leave, they look across the table at you and take out their wallets and say, how much do we owe you for this? You'd probably say, You don't owe us anything. But wonder if your guests, your friends responded like this to you. Oh, we absolutely owe you something. We're not freeloaders. We're not those brutal type of friends. How much do we owe you? You're sitting there shocked and suddenly they up an ante where they take two 20s out and throw it on the table and leave. Now, just watch this. Even the mention of payment would be incredibly insulting to any of us. But then actually offering the money is even worse. And he writes, yet we find ourselves going through life trying to pay for a free meal and in the process continually insulting God. Jesus says the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. In other words, the bread that endures into eternal life is the bread that is freely given and we are freely to receive. It comes through belief. We never can pay for it ourselves. Well, how does the crowd respond? Remember, a very religious crowd. Well, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What, Jesus, will you do for us? Oh, and just a reminder, Jesus, our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it's written in the Old Testament, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Oh, 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 Jesus. Yeah, thanks for yesterday. You know, the 10,000 thing, that was pretty epic, but we've moved on. 
Oh, oh, don't get us wrong. Yesterday was pretty amazing, but, but we actually need you to, to prove yourself just a little more. Oh, and then we'll believe you. Let's see you match or beat the big guy. Do you remember Moses? We're Jews all around here, so you, remember, you need to beat Moses. Remember, Jesus, before you say you can give us bread that's more significant, I want to remind you that Moses fed Israel for six days a week for 40 years with bread from heaven. You only fed us one meal, and there was only 10,000 of us. There was like 1.2 million of our ancestors back then. So you need to do something more epic, more significant, more profound than Moses, and then maybe if it's permanent, maybe then we'll say yes to you. So Jesus, what's your answer? And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. It's me, everyone. You're so obsessed about miracles and five loaves and two fish and Moses. I'm the food. I'm the substance. I'm going to nourish your soul. Listen, you all know where I was born, right? Bethlehem. You know that Bethlehem means house of bread. That, that's actually what Bethlehem means. So even the place I was born points to not only why I have come, but who I am. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Now this is when the scandal begins to become real. I am the bread of life. I am the word. I am the light. I am the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. I am the bread of life. These are nothing but exclusive, shocking, blasphemous, if true, claims of being God. When Moses encountered God at the burning bush and said to God, who shall I say is sending me? What is your name that I may tell them? He responded by saying, I am what? That I am. Jesus shows up and says, I am. You want me to outdo Moses? Oh my goodness. I am the God that met Moses at the burning bush. I am the God of our ancestors. I'm the one who sent the bread from heaven in the first place. You think Moses is epic? I'm eternal. Just a quick rabbit trail, because we're all going to miss this together in 2019. Because they they keep talking about Egypt and Moses. Okay, when the people of God left Egypt on their way to the promised land, starvation broke out. One million plus people, no latrines, no food, think about it. And they begin to cry out. And the story says that God answered them and gave them something called manna, bread from heaven. The story is in Exodus 16. The Israelites said to Aaron and Moses, if we'd only died by God's hand in Egypt... There we sat around pots of meat, ate the food we wanted, but you have brought us into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And God said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are to go each day and gather enough for that day. So it says, in the morning when the dew was gone, the thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, well, what is this? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And the people of Israel called it this bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Now, if you haven't caught the scandal yet, let me now clue you in. Jesus is not only claiming to be the God that sent the manna in the first place, he is claiming he is manna for them. I love when one old scholar wrote this. The manna was a foreshadow or typified Jesus. 
It's no mistake that it was white like snow, just like Jesus is without blemish or imperfection. Also, manna was what? Accessible. One of the main virtues of the bread was you could walk out of your tent and get it every single morning. But the danger is you could walk and eat it or walk over it or step on it and ignore it. So the same with Jesus. What will you do with him? Will you trample on him or will you say yes to him? See, there's no room for doubt at this moment. By word, by deed, by sign, Jesus has clearly come. Jesus is clearly saying, you are invited to come to me, to believe on me, to feed on me, to be transformed by me, because I am the God of your ancestors, and I am bread from heaven, and I am manna. You think your ancestors were fed? Let me tell you, my feeding is eternal. And in that moment, he still knows the heart of the crowd. And he says this, but as I've told you, oh, you've seen me. Oh, you still don't believe me. Oh yeah, you've seen me. Yeah, yesterday, 10, 15,000 people fed the whole crowd with basically nothing. Actually happened. Oh, I've healed the sick, cast out demons. I've literally raised people from the dead. You've heard my teaching. All the time you keep saying about me, oh my goodness, you're incredible, Jesus. We've never heard anyone preach like you, Jesus. Your teachings are so profound. You're understanding the Old Testament. We've never seen a scholar like you. You are so unbelievable. And Jesus says, yep, and you still don't believe me. Some will, but most won't. Then he says this, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Anyone want to say amen to that? <laughs> For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Oh, 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 oh. Salvation is by God, through God, and God alone. Uh, we never come to Jesus because we think it's a good idea. Jesus is never a good idea to religious people or non-religious people. Jesus actually is a terrible idea for all of us. Because when you get close to Jesus, here's what happens. Suddenly you realize religion doesn't work, humanism is a lie, we're all prideful, all sinful, and we're all in need of a savior. And most human beings, no, actually all of us, don't be, we don't like being told where to go or what to do. In other words, here's what Jesus is teaching. It takes God the Father's action even to set you up for the conversation because you would never believe on your own. You can never talk yourself into faith. You would never, listen, encountering Jesus is never a you thing, it's a him thing. Well, this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me. But I'm gonna raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Now, when you just stop, if we just all stop, even on this beautiful summer day, and actually hear what Jesus is saying, this is incredibly, incredibly damning or encouraging, depending on where you land. For those that embrace Jesus, here's what he says. Eternal life, it's yours. Purpose in this life, it's yours. I'll never leave you or forsake you, guaranteed. I will never drive you away. Your sin, your shame, your history, your ongoing struggles, mental illness, brokenness, your family. No, no, no. It is never strong enough to drive you away from me because I'm the one who saved you. You're not saving yourself. You're never going to go hungry or thirsty spiritually. And by the way, here's what I need to tell you. If you embrace me, he says it twice. I am going to raise you up in the last day. I am telling you 100% guaranteed that after you die, there will be a point in history where I return and you will be physically brought back from the dead. Death will no longer have the, the statement or the sting anymore and you will live eternally. I'm going to rise from the dead. You're going to rise from the dead. This is true. 
Now, most people would be like, oh my goodness, this is such a profound moment. It's such an altar call. Let's sing Hillsong. We're all going to come to the front. Nope. What happens to the crowd in this moment is the reverse of what we would expect to happen. At this, the Jews began to grumble about Jesus because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They are insulted by the Savior. Now, they're no different than their ancestors. God shows up in the wilderness, he moves, he saves, he provides, and they don't like who, why, where, or when. They're not pleased by what they're hearing. They're getting angry, they complain, they begin to protest, they object. Why? Oh, because they want Jesus on their terms, not on his. And here's what they're upset about. Oh, you came down from heaven? So, (laughs) you're claiming to be better than all of us. No, actually, you're claiming since you came from heaven that you existed before you existed. Actually, you're claiming to be something supernatural like an angel or, or, or maybe even equal with God because, because if you're from heaven, th- then hold on a second. We, we need to help you, Jesus. We, we need to, listen, you're, you're pretty epic, but you're not profound. So we're, we're gonna bring you down and l- let us just remind you, Jesus, of why you're wrong because we all grew up with you. We know who you are. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, who, whose mother and father we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Please, Jesus, we know you. We went to parties with you. I was at weddings with you. I was in your dad's carpenter shop all the time. You want me to text Mary and Joseph? I've got their number right here. We know what you're saying is false. You are one of us. Yes, you're pretty epic. You've done some pretty profound things. You're different that way. But when you say you come down from heaven, no, let me tell you, this has gone to your head. You're going a little crazy. And how does Jesus answer? Stop grumbling among yourselves. He speaks with an authority. And Jesus begins to show us something that even we in this church are not going to be comfortable with. He says, no one, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know my mom and dad. Yeah, and my brothers and sisters, James, Jude, all of them. Great. Yeah, we hung out as kids. Yeah, yeah, we swam in the summers together and ran in the video. Sure, that's all true. But see, here's the problem. You're all blind and I'm not. I'm, I'm the guy who played soccer with you, but actually... Before my mom, I was, because I am. Oh, just to bring this home, it is written in the Old Testament, and he's saying about me, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father learns from him who comes to me. Jesus says to this whole crowd, Jesus says to all his old friends, if you don't accept me and what I teach and what I claim, you don't know God, you've never heard from God, you've never been taught by God, just saying. And in case anyone today is missing what I'm offering, let me put it in the most emphatic of terms. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. No one's seen the Father except me, because I come from there. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. Remember where we started last week? In the beginning was the Word at creation. And the Word was with God, beside the Father, And yet the word strangely and amazingly and mysteriously is God. And the word of God was with God in the beginning. 
Jesus says, I existed before I existed. I actually have always existed. I'm the second person of the Trinity. I'm equal with the Father. I can bring eternal life. I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just a miracle worker. I'm not just a social revolutionary. I'm the God you worship in the temple in Jerusalem. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Israel. I'm the God of Moses. So let me say this again. I am the bread of life. I am manna. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, oh, and they died. But here, he's pointing to himself, here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the whole world. Jesus says, I need to do something. Imagine at this moment if Justin Bieber walked through those doors. And on social media, it got out that our good Canadian friend was here. What would happen within one hour to this place? Chaos. Thousands of people would be clamoring. Here's what we need to get in this story. This moment in Jesus' ministry is at the height of his success. Tens of thousands of people are literally physically following him everywhere you go. Like, we got to catch this. If we live, if Jesus lived in this age, this would be insane. And Jesus at this moment, at the height of crowds, at the height of popularity, at the height of following, where everyone's hanging out with Jesus, he stands up and he does this. I'm not interested in crowds. I'm interested in disciples. Hold on, I thought crowds was the goal. Oh no, he says, crowds are fine until they meet me. Then we'll see what they'll do with me. So Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Oh, and you need to ingest me, eat me, take me in so you will live. And by the way, this is not some reference to communion. Every time Paul and the gospel writers refer to the Lord's Supper or Eucharist, they never use the word flesh. He's actually saying, I'm the bread of life, and if you want eternal life, there's only one source for that bakery, and it's me, and I'm the bread. So will you invite me, embrace me, eat me, or not? Well, the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Like, this is this weird cannibalism? This is so weird. And if we were Jesus' agent right now, if we were like his comms director, we'd be like, Jesus, got to change the narrative. Got to change the Instagram post. This is bad. Like, no, no, this is a nightmare. And Jesus is like, I'm not changing anything. Actually, I'm so determined to divide the crowd and get less followers, not more. I'm actually going to do more of this because I don't want any notion that religion works and I don't want any notion that someone can make me something that I am not. So he says, I tell you the truth, verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Back to the amazing smell of bread in the Muskokas. I've said this before, but it's so helpful. It is one thing to look at bread and salivate. It is another thing to go on Instagram and follow the best foodies on earth that show you the way your life will never be but should be as you look at bread. It is another thing to walk into a bakery and smell the bread and just like, oh my goodness, but why has bread been invented? To what? Eat it. 
This is the difference between following and really following. When you follow someone on Instagram, you do not need to know them. But if you want to know someone, you must meet them and walk with them and touch them. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Don't just smell the aroma around me. Don't be fascinated how good I look. You must embrace me or you will die. Jesus will not take back any of his actions. He says, accept me, ingest me, be in me, and I will be with you. Now, by the way, see that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood? In the original language, it is written in a once-for-all action. For some of you who grew up in churches where you think you got saved every Friday night, stop. You meet Jesus once, and you are saved, and that is the point. It is finished, he says, on the cross. And of course, this is beginning to show us something. Jesus is pointing to his coming death and resurrection. This is why John would later write in 1 John 4, 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So this is a call to have Jesus for real in your life. I love what James Boyce once wrote. Is Jesus real to you spiritually as something you can taste and handle? I mean, is Jesus as much part of you as what you eat? Don't think me blasphemous when I say he must be as real and as useful to you as hamburger and french fries. I say this because he's obviously far more real and unusual than these things, but unfortunately, burgers and fries for many people are more significant than him. Jesus is intentionally making this divide. And he basically says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I'm going to raise them up on the last day. My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Do you notice that? You'll live because of Jesus, not because of you. This bread that came down from heaven, your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. I am the only way. I'm the only thing that's going to last. If you accept me, accept my teaching, accept my claims of being from heaven, existing before existing, being equal to God and being in God, being God himself. If you accept my coming work on the cross, then and only then will you have eternal life. There is no other bakery on earth to serve you this bread. But the problem is, like we heard last week, this is not an intellectual issue. See, the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you see the call, the command, and the cost, it becomes clear. The stranger and stranger the images, the stronger the cost becomes. See, never forget Jesus at this moment have thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers. And Jesus is like, nope. Jesus says, you can't make me the way you want me to be. I, you can't invent me so I suit your ideas politically, ethnically, religiously. No, I'm Savior, I'm Lord, I am, never you. Now, how did the crowds respond? Well, amazingly, in John chapter 6, we see every single response. In John six sixty six, it says, from that time on, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They're like, nope, too crazy too wild, too blasphemous, too, too costly, too fill in the blank. No, I don't believe the son of Joseph the carpenter is the Messiah. I don't believe he's the son of God. I had too many coffees with him. I don't buy it. I'm out. 
just so we catch this, Jesus at the height of his ministry lost most of his disciples at the best of times. So just so you know that in our culture, when we proclaim the uniqueness of Jesus, most will say no, not yes. And then Jesus looks at his closest crew and says, do you want to leave too? Uh, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall I go? I mean, we have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe to know that you're the Holy One of God. I love Peter. So raw, so honest, so broken, so foot and mouth. He says, well, honestly, here's the modern translation. I've looked at all the options. And there's a lot of options, and I've tried a lot of stuff, and honestly, you're the best option out there. And not only are these the best option, you've, you've got words that have not just power, there's eternal life in you. So I'm stuck with you. Sometimes I don't want to be stuck with you, but look, I'm just stuck. I, here I am. So the vast majority say goodbye to Jesus. Those closest say you're the best option. But then there's one little moment that's incredibly scary that very rarely is now preached in churches, especially in North America. The last person looks like a believer, acts by a believer, and isn't. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon the Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray Jesus. When's the last time you've been asked by a pastor, are you Judas? No one names their kids Judas anymore. And none of us, most of us don't want to think about this, but Here's what's so important in this. Many church people are Judas. And not Judas in the, in the sense of like conniving to destroy Jesus. Because actually, I'm not convinced Judas for a long time even knew that was his plan. I love what Chuck Swindoll, a very gentle, loving preacher, thinking on the state of Judas wrote. He said, you know, Judas numbered himself along and among the faithful he said and did everything necessary to appear genuine. He actually even risked his life with the other disciples, yet Judas never truly believed. He fooled others and maybe even fooled himself. Not every pretend believer is a Judas, he writes. Many are well-meaning churchgoers who behave like their other Christian friends, motivated by a thousand things, but they're not authentic faith. Sadly, one day, when Jesus comes back, they'll expect to hear, welcome home, and they'll hear instead, I never knew you. Why? It's because Judas expects to be rewarded for their good service as an enter-in thing. And they never believed you're saved by grace, not by works. There are millions of Christians who still believe in their heart that Jesus is not who he claims, or believe in their heart, they get to heaven and have eternal life because they're nice or Canadian or kind or give to the United Way or come to church, or fill in the blank. None of that brings eternal life. Jesus brings eternal life. Now, there's a lot of good news in this passage, by the way. God, who's equal with the, Jesus, who's equal with the Father, comes from heaven and he's the bread of life. And if you truly and fully accept him and his gift, then you'll be saved. Now, here's the question again. How do we eat this bread? How do we drink this cup? And Jesus has already answered it. The work of God is this. You want to know how to, to work for God? To believe in the one who he sent. 
How many people did God send? One. His name is Jesus from Nazareth. You must accept and only accept Jesus. Jesus is the only bread of life to do this task. If you say you believe in Jesus Christ, you are declaring that you know him, you've met him, you trust him, you've put your confidence in him, you've admitted that you are a sinner, you have admitted to God already that you used to believe that you were good enough and did not need saving, or you were bad enough and God would not love you. You have admitted already to God that you've said to him, prove it, then I'll believe. You've admitted you needed bread that would last. If you are a genuine follower of Jesus, you've said, I ask Jesus to be Lord and and God and Savior. I welcome his forgiveness. He's able to run my whole life. I welcome eternal life. That that you've said, I want to be held by you. I, I don't need to fear death. I believe everything now I know about this life. What happens at my death and after my death will depend on Jesus Christ alone. So on this beautiful Sunday in July, What will you do with this Jesus? Some of you will say, no. I don't believe he's God in flesh. I don't believe he's the Messiah. I don't, but fine. Actually, that's how we started this series. By the end of this sermon series, you would truly be able to make a choice. Many, many, many people will say no to Jesus. Others of us are like Peter. We're like, you know what? He's the, (laughs) I'm stuck with you. Sometimes I wonder, but I am, I am stuck with Jesus. And if you've genuinely followed Jesus and, and you've met him, I just need to say something to all of you who are followers of Christ. I need to read the words of Jesus one more time to you. Verse 37. All the Father gives me will come to me. Let's just stop right there. This is so important. Because we live in a world of anxiety and fear and change. And listen, if God the Father in his eternal will has given you to Jesus, you're coming to Jesus. You're not strong enough to stop his will. And by the way, this is such a pastoral gift to us. If God has called you, you are saved. And not only that, it says, and not only will you come to Jesus... He says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So let me just say this. If you're a genuine follower of Jesus today, and you feel like you are being driven from the presence of God in the fullest sense, let me just remind you, there is no sin that is deep enough or wide enough to take you out of the love of God. Nothing that has been done to you or you've done to another can take you out of the love of God. Jesus will not drive his children from me. He'll discipline us. He might be silent for us, but he will never drive us away. If you feel truly driven from the presence of God, either either you're trying to leave, which you can't, you're going to lose, or the devil is trying to convince you you are never in. It's a lie. Stand against it. Base it here. When you start believing as a Christian... It's based on what I do to stay in. You've already committed the sin of religion. I get saved by what I do. But here's the real question. Are you Judas? Because again, Judas was a good guy. A church-going guy in the inner circle. And so what we need to do, and I guarantee you've probably never been in a church that's asked you to do this, is we need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us if we're Judas. 
Because if you are Judas, in other words, if you are a believer in title or an action, but you still trust in yourself, or you've never embraced the true claims of Jesus, it is not too late to become Peter. But it is this moment where we ask. So could you open your hands? And could you close your eyes? And we're just going to take a moment to pray. So here's the first thing. Number one, Lord, thank you that your word is truth. And thank you that the Bible is so relevant even today. And at this moment, here's a few things we want to pray about. First, we confess in this church that Jesus is the bread of life. And he is the only bread of life. And he's the only one that can give eternal life. There's no one else. Not another religious leader. Not another philosophical thing. Not another cultural understanding. Jesus Christ alone. And Lord, thank you that you came. And we ask now, Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit among us to divide the crowd. Uh, begin, Holy Spirit, to reveal to people the call and the cost and the person of Jesus. Just, just do this, we ask now, in the name of Christ. And Lord, some of us need to be assured that we're Peter. And Holy Spirit, would you tell us, it says in the book of Romans that it is a guarantee that the Holy Spirit will tell us we are children of God. And so if we are genuinely Peter, say, Holy Spirit, remind us, yes, you are my child. But then we do also ask this, Lord, Jesus, if some of us are Judas, we have the title Christian, and we do all the churchy things, but we do not truly embrace Jesus as his, by his claims, or we still believe we're saved by what we do, then in this moment, would you tell us that we're Judas? And, and just in the name of Jesus, Satan and our own hearts cannot speak right now. And if you hear that you're Judas, a believer who is actually not really one, don't be afraid. Call out to the Lord Jesus and ask him to change your heart. Lord, thanks that you're the bread of life. Thank you that you nourish us. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you are who you claim. Thank you that you have given us life that we could never give. We're just incredibly thankful for all you've done and who you are. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And we all said together, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.